Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL. We are in the midst of a bye week for the Alabama football team, but that doesn't mean there still isn't plenty to talk about. And we're going to check in with our beat reporter there, senior beat reporter for BamaOnline.com. It's been a little while since we caught up with Charlie Potter, and so we want to do that with you as we take you into the open weekend for the Crimson Tide football team. What about it, Charlie? How you doing? Not too bad. It's been... Uh... An interesting week. Uh, obviously, there's a lot going on other than football, but um, you always appreciate the bye week a little bit to, to recharge the batteries. And I, I know that you know that the team is is nicked up, and from six straight SEC games, you expect that. But uh, you know, it, it's been a it's been a grind, especially whenever you had an off season that was so lacking of of content and things to write about. Really, to it's to have a week like this, it's it's a welcome sight. You know, and then you get the basketball stuff. Nate Oates' team, some media availability on Thursday, midday. Heard from Nate Oates, heard from a handful of players. And, you know, we're like 20 days away, Charlie, from Jacksonville State making the short trip over to Coleman Coliseum. And um, I thought there were some interesting things we heard from from Nate Oates on Thursday. And, uh, you know, I guess injuries is something that you talk about, whether it's football, basketball, and you know, it sounds like a couple of guys are still trying to get there. Obviously, Alex Chaku, the incoming freshman with the Achilles injury, he's going to be out. But uh, Jawan Gary, I guess, uh, coming off a knee injury from a year ago, also sort of fits that mold. But you know, I say that, Charlie, because you know there have been some years for Alabama basketball. When you consider the status that Gary and Chaku both held as recruits, you know, there were one, two type years where if Alabama basketball would have had injuries like that, it likely would have been a, a very negative thing. And it's not good. Don't get me wrong. You hate it for those guys, first and foremost. Um, but, man, when you look at this roster that Nate Oates has assembled, uh, it, it, it doesn't appear as if it'll be as impactful because of what they've been able to accumulate in terms of pieces. No, you're right, and you know, that was one of the things I went in today um, asking him and the the players we talked to is just how is the your team gelling together? How's the chemistry coming along? Because there are so many new pieces. You only have four guys that played in games last year that are returning. You have the three that sat out uh, last year, which Juwan Gary is one of those. And you have six newcomers, and um, yeah, I mean, any other year you have guys like a Juwan Gary and an Alex Chiku that uh, you know aren't suiting up for the the first game, or at least it doesn't sound like. 
uh, Jawan Gary will suit up for the first game, and that's that's bad news. But I think it says a lot to to what this coaching staff has done from a recruiting standpoint to reshaping the roster. And you know, Nato's has said it multiple times, you know, leading up to the season is just how much better their depth is. And uh, you know, for Gary, it's still kind of the, the knee injury he was doing with last year, and um, you know, he said he's coming along. Nato's did, but. Um, you know, he has his doubts if Juwan will be cleared by game one. So that doesn't sound very promising, like you said, 20 days from the season opener. And then for Chiku, I mean, we knew he was going to be out you know, for the year with that Achilles injury. But the good news for him is it sounds like he's in good spirits. Um, a funny little anecdote is that um, he is back at the facility and, and watching practices, and they tried to get this cat to – walk around on crutches and he's 611 and uh, they quickly oh, transitioned stilts yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they quickly transitioned to the scooter and he's been zipping around and and things like that but they're going to try to get some weight on him but yeah i mean just from today i think the injuries was interesting to hear what he said about um you know the non-conference schedule wasn't that surprising and, and just to, to hear that the, the team is really coming together, like I said, with so many new pieces, I think has to be reassuring given just, you know, how much different this roster is going to look this season. Is it as simple as it seems in terms of projecting a starting lineup for this club, Charlie? I mean, you see Jaden Shackelford, you see Herb Jones, you see John Petty, you feel like you're easily 60% of the way there with a starting five. Jordan Bruner comes in from Yale as a grad transfer. I know we heard from him on Thursday as well. He would seem like a fourth guy. Um, and then Javon Quinterly after sitting out a year, after transferring in from Villanova. Do you think it's that easy? Or think because of how well the staff has recruited, they've got a great problem on their hands in terms of guys like Josh Primo and Keon Ellis and, uh, some of these other guys that could certainly factor in that mix. I definitely think they have options, but I would think that the the five you laid out there, Quinterly, Shackelford, Petty, Jones, and and Bruner would be the, the guys we see to open up the Jacksonville State game. Um, I, I think that Primo is a guy that can be in that mix. He's a guy that can be on the ball or off. He's a combo guard. Uh, I think Keon Ellis is going to play a lot. I think James Rojas, now that he's healthy, is a guy that can give them some minutes down low. Alex Reese, throw him into the mix there. Um, you know, that's not even including guys like a, a Keon Ambrose Hilton, who I think would play as a, a true freshman. So um, they definitely have options. But yeah, I mean, if, if I were to predict a starting lineup, and this has been the way really uh, all summer long, it would be Quinterly at the point, Shackelford at the two, Petty at the three, uh, Herb Jones at the four, and then Bremer at the five. Depth-wise, they seem to be in a good place in that with Gary maybe not quite there yet, they don't have to rush him, right, to get back maybe quicker than would be uh, advised. And certainly they wouldn't take that chance anyway. But given injuries and, and how we saw them just last season in year one under Nate Oates, at some point it could be that Jawan Gary ends up being pretty important, I would guess. Yeah, and you know, with him, it, it sounds like he's coming along and he's going to eventually get there. It's just you know taking a, a little more time. I think his knee injury was a lot more severe than the one that we saw uh, James Rojas suffer. So I think he's a guy that staff feels really good about, and uh, I've been eager to see him on the court you know, since he he signed. But we just haven't seen that yet because of unfortunate reasons. But no, I mean, he is a guy that I think could could factor into that. But it's it's going to get interesting. I mean, we just talked about uh, a starting lineup and rattle off what nine ten names, and that's yeah. including a guy like uh, Jawan <laughs> Gary. So it, yeah, it, it's a good problem to have, 
And uh, I think the depth is is much, much improved. And uh, I think this team is going to be really exciting to watch come uh, November 25th. Officially got our hands on the non-conference schedule for this team in the last couple of days here. Open again with JSU in Tuscaloosa on November the 25th. I think a lot of folks, though, circling certainly the Maui Invitational that's been moved to Asheville, North Carolina, with that opener and that event against Stanford and the potential for UNC uh, and a matchup with the Tar Heels there in their home state in round two. Uh, Houston, you know, right here in Tuscaloosa on December the 19th. That's a really good program under Kelvin Sampson these days. Uh, And that's going to be sandwiched in between a couple of Southern Conference teams in Furman and ETSU that have had a lot of success in recent years. Uh, And then Oklahoma out in Norman uh, in late January. That one's interesting, I guess, Charlie, because you're you're hopefully going to be well into conference play by that point. Yeah, it's a part of that SEC Big 12 challenge, which is a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, I think it's a it's a really solid non-conference slate. Uh, obviously, the Maui Invitational is the headliner there. And of course, like you mentioned, getting to play North Carolina potentially two years in a row is, is big for your strength of schedule. You think the Tar Heels will be improved from what they were last year. Uh, and then Houston is a is a game that uh, Nato today talked a lot about. You know, he said it's huge. Um, he, like you said, um, pointed out how Kelvin Sampson is one of the better coaches in the country. They always play with a lot of effort. And, um, you know, th- this is a, a home and home series that they signed because NATO wants to continue to develop that blue collar, tough approach. And you know, Houston is one of those teams that plays with a lot of toughness. And it, that's what he wants to, to match up against Or if not, I guess, expose Alabama and, and realize that they're not there yet. So, um, it, it's a quality schedule. Uh, you, you add Clemson in Atlanta. I think that's a, a underrated game there. And playing in an NBA arena never hurts from a recruiting standpoint. So um, no, it's it's a it's a nine game slate. It obviously got cut down. They're not going to be playing in Huntsville or Birmingham or Mobile anymore. We've seen in the past, but you'd only have nine games before. Well, I guess eight games before starting SEC play. It's pretty respectable. I'll tell you a date coming up that, you know, Nate Oates and that staff are looking forward to even before we get to November 25th, that early signing period, Charlie, he's got some, he's got some early Christmas gifts coming under the tree, doesn't he? He does. And and that's one thing about this staff is uh, they've recruited really well. I mean, we saw last year, uh, the early signing period last year was not very uh, loud. It wasn't very busy. Keon Ambrose Hilton was the only a uh, player that signed, but then they went on and added six or five more pieces for a six-player class. So, uh, yeah, they they did their work, but right now they have three players committed, including J.D. Davison, the the five-star from here in the state of Alabama. And uh, it sounds like all three of those guys are expected to sign uh, in the early signing period next week when it starts up. And uh, but they're going to continue to recruit guys. They have you know some big targets out there. I think Charles Bediaco. Um, is, is one of the the biggest, and uh, their plan is to sign five. Of course, things can change. I mean, last year I don't think they anticipated uh, adding five players, but uh, right now the the goal is to, to sign five total players. And you know, after this early signing period, they're going to continue to do that. I don't think a lot of the big fish they have out there are planning on uh, signing early. We can see if that changes, but at the moment. Uh, they have a, a solid class. I think it's 14th nationally in the 24-7 sports composite, and I think it's the third highest in the SEC. And uh, if they add some of the pieces that are still out there on the board, they can continue to climb those rankings. 
All right, let's get into some football talk. Even during the bye week, still plenty to talk about. And what we're going to do is we're going to update the Alabama football team from an injury standpoint, maybe some items of interest that we picked up on both between player comments, Nick Saban a couple of times on Wednesday, and then we're going to get specific with a couple of topics. We're going to get into Dylan Moses and his return from injury, assess his play, uh, kind of get into it from that perspective. Obviously, a home game of sorts for Dylan Moses his next time out when Alabama travels to LSU, actually that linebacker level, you're going to have uh, a good bit of Baton Rouge area representation just with those uh, three guys there at that position between outside and inside linebacker. But we'll get into some Dylan Moses talk and then we'll wrap things up on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast with five freshmen. And we're talking true freshmen who will impact Alabama's title drive coming up here down the stretch. So with that, Charlie, let's get into some of the things you've heard from Nick Saban this week, some of the things you've heard from the players from a health perspective. Obviously, Jalen Waddell continues to be out, although interesting that Nick Saban used kind of the words for a while they're going to be without uh, Jalen Waddell. What, What did you take from that, by the way? Did you... Did you take that as there's at least a sliver, a sliver of daylight in the crack of that door, perhaps, that at some point down the road you might see him again in an Alabama uniform? Yeah, I mean, he said that on the SEC teleconference, and I'll be honest, when I listen to that thing, um, I don't have my contacts in. I'm usually sitting at my desk in basketball shorts and just jotting down you know, the timestamps of what uh, he says, but that definitely caught my attention just because it's different than everything else that we've heard <clears throat> up to this point. And so um, it, it doesn't mean that we'll see Jalen Waddle later this season, but it, it doesn't rule it out for sure. And uh, I don't think Nick Saban's just a guy that, that makes a lot of mistakes when he speaks. I think he says things with purpose. And so, yeah, my, my ears definitely perked up uh, when I heard that. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it, you don't want to make a lot about it. You don't really want to, um, you know, get your hopes up if you're an Alabama fan. But, you know, boy, would you take number 17 to, to maybe come back there if you're in the college football playoff later this season? Absolutely. Now, otherwise, uh, from an injury perspective with this team, seem to come out of Mississippi State in pretty good shape. And, you know, you're considering you're continuing to try to project perhaps a, a time when you might see a, a LeBron Ray return to the mix. Charlie, um what, what, what was your takeaway from an injury standpoint from Mississippi State going into this bye week and then looking ahead for maybe a guy or two that we haven't seen as much of of late? Yeah, I mean, um, I asked Nick Saban about injuries after the game because we saw a few guys um, you know, leave the game and, and not return. And then um, it, it's happened a, a couple times in the last few years. Marcus Banks was going through pregame warmups dressed out like he was going to play in the game. And then you're looking down the sideline and he's in, in street clothes. And it sounds like he just tweaked his hamstring. And uh, that was more of a precautionary thing. And a lot of these things where <clears throat> we saw guys leave the game, they didn't come back because of precautionary reasons. They just chose, you know, not to, to return them to the game and to, to hold them out to, to try to keep them healthy and, and, you know, not make things worse. So guys like Fidarian Mathis, uh, Miller Forrestal, Slade Bolden, Malachi Moore. Malachi Moore had a stinger, and uh, Nick Saban just said Forrestal and, and Bolden were nicked up. 
and uh, we heard from Federer Mathis this week. So it sounds like everybody is good from that standpoint. But LeBron Ray, um, you know, this was something that Nick Saban kind of pointed at. You know, this week was something he pointed at to kind of shut him down for a little bit, give him some extra time to, to heal that elbow and to, to get ready for LSU. Now we'll see what happens next week when they get back on the practice field. They're going to have the weekend off. Uh, after today and um, today being Thursday and then return Monday and we'll see how LeBron Ray is doing then he's been able to do some things in practice um, but I know he's been limited because of that elbow but everybody else has been um, you know, pretty good we've seen Carl Tucker and that hamstring he played against Mississippi State um, after missing a couple of games Ronald Williams with that fractured arm was able to play late in the fourth quarter against Mississippi State. There are several guys that are dealing with bumps and bruises. We've seen Brian Robinson, you know, kind of be used gingerly in games. Uh, Deontay Brown's a guy we've seen wear a club at practice and then injured that uh, shoulder uh, at Tennessee, but he was able to play in the game. You know, they played six straight SEC games. Guys are going to be dealing with bumps and bruises and and little things here and there, but for the most part. Uh, outside of Jalen Waddle, of course, LeBron Ray is really the only guy dealing with a significant injury, and they're hoping to get him back. And if they can and get guys really to, to heal and to rest this week, they'll be in a much better uh, injury situation heading to the LSU game. You know, and you usually like to practice until late in the week in that open date and let the guys go home. But, man, it's going to be stressful even with the open weekend, I got to think, for these coaches because of COVID-19. I mean, you're trying to maintain a bubble as best you can. That's not to say players aren't getting out around Tuscaloosa. They are. I mean, they still have to have some semblance of a normal life as best you can. Um, but you, you, similar, I guess, to the to the preseason, there was a, a stint there where the players got to go home, I guess, and it seemed to work out okay. But I guess this too is where you know, the the abundance of testing that that Alabama does can can help but man it it, it, it it's a bye week charlie but with covid it, it doesn't it doesn't feel really anything like what a typical bye week would no it doesn't and you know, that's a good point because that is it's a battle that you've had to fight all season is just to make sure guys are are cognizant of their surroundings that are making the right choices and decisions and that personal bubble is, is really important and I think they've done a good job of that. We haven't seen a spiking cases at all, all season long, you know, knock on wood that that won't happen. Uh, but it's going to be important with an entire weekend off that guys maintain that and think about that because, you know, Alabama can win um, all of these games remaining in the regular season without a couple players. But if it hits a entire position group, that's going to make things difficult at LSU against a Kentucky, against an Auburn and at Arkansas. So you want to you know maintain the the consistency that you've had. You keep guys healthy, and uh, you know, like I said, for the most part, they've done that. And uh, I think guys are well aware of how well it's gone, and they don't want to ruin a good thing. But the college kids, you know, they're going to make you know, boneheaded decisions, and you know, we'll see how things look come uh, you know the start of next week. Yeah, we will. And so we talk about next week. We talked about it earlier a little bit, but. Seems like there's been, on Wednesday anyway, a, a good bit of attention already being given to Dylan Moses. Obviously, his ties uh, to the the immediate area there where, where Alabama will be playing a week from Saturday evening against the LSU Tigers. Uh, so I want it got me to thinking, let's, let's get into Dylan Moses a little bit because 
the expectations were so high for this guy coming into the season. But then when you really think about it, he didn't have a spring practice, which he may have been in non-contact status anyway, given the injury that he sustained in August of last year. But still, he would have gotten reps on the field, I, I would think. In some form or fashion, he would have gotten reps that would have led to him helping cement his, com- his comfort level, both with his knee and still with what was somewhat a new role for him. Now, he did have 2019 spring practice, I guess, um, before the injury that, that came in August. But uh, the expectations, right, Charlie? I mean, maybe that's that's a trap we all fell into. But then, you know, you, you, you say those things and you would think looking at his numbers, they wouldn't be what they are. But then when you look at his numbers, he's kind of on par with some of the the best that Nick Saban's had to play the position in some years in which some of those guys won some of the biggest individual award honors that that you can in college football. Yeah, Dylan's had a strange year to me because if you go back to that Missouri game, he and Christian Harris and Will Anderson all played lights out. They were all over the field. They were flying around. You're like, oh, man. This Alabama defense is going to be scary good this year. And then the next week rolls around Texas A&M. And then, of course, the Ole Miss game. And it was just it was really bad. And, um, you know, we we all know how many points, how many yards were put up uh, in Oxford. But he started to turn the corner a little bit more and to, to play a little better. And one of the big things that Nick Saban said this week, he kind of touched on it both on the SEC teleconference and during his Zoom call with us is that he sees Dylan being a lot more comfortable in his role as a leader, as a signal caller of that defense. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier. There were so much there was so much expectation placed on his shoulders entering this season of being the savior of this defense. Everyone, you know, talked about how bad the defense played last year. Of course, they had so many true freshmen, but Dylan Moses is coming back. He's going to make things a lot better, and it's his job to get everybody lined up. Of course, as the signal caller, and to you know relay the uh, the play to the rest of the defensive front and get everybody lined up. And I think he's kind of almost been stressed out by that. That has led to him thinking uh, instead of reacting uh, more. And we saw that in the, the first few games. You know, Missouri is kind of an anomaly to that. But with Nick Saban saying that he's seen him be more comfortable, you can tell that with how he's played. He still made a few mistakes. Uh, I think you saw a couple there uh, in the Mississippi State game, but then he has the interception in the end zone. You know, right now he has, what, 50 tackles through six games. I think that's tied for eighth in the SEC, and he is at five and a half tackles for loss, which is uh, sixth in the SEC. So statistically, he's having a, a good season. And granted, they were on the field against Ole Miss a lot, so you're going to rack up a lot of tackles. But uh, I think he's improving, he's settling down. And again, I just think the expectations were so high that he felt that he felt like he had to play and think and get everybody lined up at another level. And that led to him being out of place, missing tackles, missing assignments. And we've seen that be cleaned up a little bit. And maybe with, you know, a week off to, to really focus on things like that, that'll even improve and you know, he'll continue that upward trend against LSU. Yeah, I don't know, as you alluded to, if the Missouri performance was necessarily a good thing in terms of realistic expectations, even moving on just from that game, because expectations were already high. 
going mm-hmm. into the season opener. Then he has eight tackles, two and a half for a loss, and then a, a half sack in that game. And you're thinking, wow, you know, this is Auto Buckus Award that's about to go down right here. And you know, people don't want to hear it; they just want to see the numbers. And again, the numbers aren't bad; they're actually pretty good. Uh, but it's also contingent upon the guys you have in front of you. I mean, when you look at the Buckus Award winners in the Nick Saban era, and you look at the guys that were up front on those defenses, I mean, Rolando McClain, 2009, you're talking Terrence Cody and Marcel Darius. C.J. Mosley in his run, you're talking A'shaun Robinson. Ed Stinson was a really good high, uh, college player and a professional. Quentin Dial, the same kind of guy. Even a Jesse Williams you know, in 2012 that you had in front of you there. 2016, how about this group for Reuben Foster? Jonathan Allen, Dalvin Tomlinson, Deshaun Hand, and a fledgling Deron Payne. <laughs> I mean, you had Quentin Williams, uh, you know, that really wasn't, didn't see the field all that much. Now, you know, you look to 2019 last year, obviously a ton of youth. You did have Raquan Davis. Um, you look at this year, you know, it's not, a bad group of defensive linemen, but I would say that's the area that has just as much to improve upon and looks to be doing it. Phil Mathis has played nicely, still kind of waiting on Christian Barmore to be that dude. Um, But, you know, Dylan's numbers, as you said, he's averaging eight tackles per game. He's averaging just under one tackle for loss. CJ Mosley in 2013 averaged eight tackles per game. He had nine tackles for loss in 14 games. That's uh, that, that's that's under one a game. I, I, I do have enough math skills to, to do that work in my head. You know, Rolando McClain averaged seven and a half tackles per game per game in 2009. One tackle for loss in 2009. So, you know, when you kind of add it up, and yes, that Missouri game, he loaded up, you know, on the tackles for loss. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, it's very realistic to think that we're going to see more of that guy that you had expectations for going into the season. But I think you could make just as much of an argument that you really need to start seeing the Christian Barmore that we've talked about for about a year now. And you need Mathis to continue to do what he's doing. And, you know, DJ Dale, some of these guys, they got to come along too. No, yeah, I think the the defensive line has been inconsistent. The depth is there. It's just a lot of it isn't experience. It hurts not having LeBron Ray for the last three games. And with Dylan, mm-hmm. um, it, it has been a weird year. And I think the the big thing is just the missed assignments and the missed tackles early on. You didn't see that from a Rolando McLean or a CJ Mosley or even a Ruben Foster whenever he worked his way up into a starting role. Um, and again, I think that goes back to Dylan has that responsibility in his shoulders and that weight that he's put on himself that uh, all of us have also put on him that he's thinking more than reacting. And now that's kind of, he's, you know, able to relax a little bit and we've seen him play better at the last couple games, really the last 10 quarters or, or so. If he cleans up those mistakes, then he can continue to improve and to, you know, be in the mix for one of those awards at the end of the season, but he's going to need some help up front. I agree. And um, I know we're going to talk about it later, but you know, the emergence of a guy like a Tim Smith to be consistent there in the middle, um, you know, to just 
eat blocks and to make running lanes for guys like Dylan Moses and Christian Harris. Um, you know, you need Fader and Mathis to continue to play like he's playing. Uh, you need Christian Barmore to come along. I think Justin Boigby and, and Byron Young have been, you know, pretty good. And then you need a LeBron Ray to come back. And if those guys can play well up front, then, you know, this trend for Dylan Moses to, to continue to play better and to play at the Dylan Moses that you know, we expected, you know, it'll, it'll be on that right path. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different game too. You know, Rolando McClain, he was a beast. Now, no one's saying he wasn't, and he was an every down guy, no doubt about that. But the number of different things he had to worry about on a snap by snap basis and the ability to expose middle linebackers, like offensive coaches are able to do it now with different formations and, you know, getting slot receivers on some of the, I mean, you saw it with Jalen Waddle against Georgia. I mean, Sark was able to get Jalen Waddle on a middle linebacker, you know, down the field. Uh, he had a safety over the top, but still they were able to hit it for an explosive play. It's, it's never been tougher either than to play than to play middle linebacker at just about any level of football. Dylan doesn't need us making excuses for him, though. He's going to be fine. There's no doubt. I would say this, Charlie. You know, when you talk about Dylan and the potential for him, like most expect, for him to go ahead and make the jump to the NFL, I, I would I would say it makes sense to me because if I'm an NFL team. He's getting that post-injury year out of the way this year at the college level. So if I'm an NFL team, I'm thinking that second year that typically is when guys flourish post the kind of injury that he had, uh, I'm going to get him when he's really getting back to who who he was or or who he can be for the future. I, I don't know. Maybe Maybe I'm wrong in that. No, I agree with that, and I think a, a telltale sign is Dylan's listed as a senior on the roster, and he's obviously a redshirt junior after not playing last year. I don't think that's a mistake. Uh, I think that uh, Dylan had, for all intents and purposes, plans on this being his last year in Tuscaloosa. I think he, you know, there was potential even with the injury if he'd have left. He could have been a, a top draft pick last year, uh, just because of the potential alone and what they've seen from him in the past. So, um, you know, if if he continues to to play the way he's been playing the last few weeks, you know, that draft stock can can climb a little bit. But yeah, I mean, as an NFL evaluator, um, you know, I'm not well versed in just the rest of the inside linebackers across the country, but you've seen the potential, and you know, he's going to be another year removed from that knee injury. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a chance for you to take a flyer on a guy that could be a, a decade plus long pro at the next level. So, yeah, I mean, for him, I would be surprised if he came back. Stranger things have happened. Um, and part of me didn't think he would come back last year, but um, it, it'll be interesting to see how he's evaluated to the next level. You know, two years after that injury. Yeah, if you're in the NFL, you're looking at him and saying he's he's spending what would have been probably a red shirt year had he come out in 2020 um he's spending that on a on the college level so we're not gonna anticipate going through that with him um in 2021 hey we're gonna step aside for a quick break here on the bama online podcast with charlie potter i'm travis Ryer. when we come back we are going to give you five freshmen true freshmen who will impact Alabama's title drive following the bye week. We'll do that and more on the Built by Bama online podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer alongside Charlie Potter does an outstanding job covering the Alabama Crimson Tide for us there at Bama Online, if you haven't already. How about a subscription to the Bama Online Podcast? Easy, a click or two. And you're with us. You'll get the podcast on your mobile device whenever we drop one of these. Typically about three times a week, we drop the Bama Online podcast. We'd certainly love to have you in tow with us. And we'd love for you, if you could, to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would help as well. All right, Charlie, let's get into it. We're going to kind of do this in an alternating fashion here. Five freshmen for this Alabama Crimson Tide football team that will be big, potentially big anyway, in UA's title drive coming up. Let's get it going, Charlie. Give us us a a freshman that you've got among your five. I'll go with Will Anderson, the Jack linebacker. And he's a guy that's been, you know, we talked about it early on in that Missouri game. He's been disrupted from the jump. Uh, he hasn't connected on the sack yet. He's been very close, uh, but I think he actually leads the SEC in quarterback pressures. Um, you know, he's a guy that he is very tough to block. Uh, he kind of lives in opposing backfields. We've seen him kind of destroy a, a few running backs on some read option plays. And, you know, I think he's eventually going to get there. And when he does, that's just going to kind of be a, a chain of reaction, and, and he's going to load up on some sacks. And I know from a pass rush standpoint, Nick Saban and, and that team don't really focus on uh, sack production. But if you get the quarterback on the ground, that's a win. And I think Will Anderson is going to generate some more of those moving forward. And if he's able to do that, I think that speaks a lot to the success of this defense and helps Alabama march toward the college football playoffs. So you're know, getting pressure on the quarterback is, is key. And you know, Will Anderson is a guy that. You know, he hasn't been on the sideline very much this year, and I think once he starts getting the quarterback on the ground, he's going to be an even bigger piece of this defense than he already is. Yeah, in games in which you have like a combined 17 you know, quarterback hurries and pass breakups between those two, you, know, you get up in the high teens with those two combined, you know, two sacks like Alabama had against Mississippi State, you know, that is overvaluing sacks when you're able to produce – those type of numbers in some other areas in which pass rush uh, play a role. But yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been right there. He was right there again against Mississippi state. Uh, you're seeing him kind of pass rush repertoire a little bit. It's kind of subtle at times, but absolutely. You can see this guy uh, being a disruptive force, certainly throughout the, the stretch run and into the postseason. I'm going to give you Malachi Moore. I mean, could I be any more obvious with that one? This is a guy who is playing at an extremely high level, and you'll love it, man, if you're Nick Saban, because so much of what defensive football is in this era is about your corners and about your slot corner, your star defender. And when you put him in the in the inside there now 
with Josh Job and Patrick Sertan and the level they're playing at, uh, you're in good shape. And I'll tell you, this guy plays with an edge. You know, he's not 210, he's not 200 pounds, but uh, he will hit you. And, uh, you know, he, he gives you that versatility. It's, it's such a, a game now where, you know, opposing offenses look to get a Terrace Marshall Jr. Or you know one of their top receivers, whoever that may be, in that slot matched up on a on a third corner or a third safety, and you know more gives you a legitimate like corner presence there inside. And at the same time, he'll he can tackle. I mean, right now in terms of just tackling, I might put Malachi Moore up there with. I would say Josh Job. Josh Job and Malachi Moore for me might be Alabama's top two tacklers, just in terms of getting people on the ground consistently. Yeah, and Josh Job has long been considered the hardest hitting defensive back uh, on the secondary, and that was last year. Whenever he only started a couple of games, and I agree with that. Malachi Moore has been a sure tackler, and what a story though. I mean, he's a guy that was supposed to enroll early and didn't and you know that's usually you know that's that's usually not good news it, it might be you know you're leaning toward a gray shirt but he comes in, in the summertime works his tail off um, you know brian branch is a guy that was you know making a lot of noise at that star position early on in preseason camp and uh, i think missed a couple practices and malachi Moore slipped in and, and didn't let go of it and, and won't i mean he's a guy that is going to be part of this secondary for a long time and uh, now he's he's coming off his second SEC Freshman of the Week honor. It's very deserving, and uh, he's played pretty well. And I guess just moving on to the third freshman I just mentioned, I think Brian us. Branch is there Brian Branch is in that discussion because we've been kind of waiting on him. We saw some uh, inconsistent play from the safety position early on, and, and last week was his first start at the the money position in dime and it was really his, his second game playing that but you know he was tested from the jump mississippi state threw to him on the first play he had a pass breakup it resulted in what seemed like 20 straight three and outs for the bulldogs but um you know brian branch played really well he was right there with malachi moore you know, finished with one tackle less they both had a couple of pass breakups and branch shared a, a tackle for loss so Having both of those guys down there in the box, um, like you said, it, it's beneficial for the for a matchup standpoint because you're going to be going up against uh, talented receivers. Offensive coordinators are going to want to be getting those mismatches in the slot. But with Moore and Branch there, Alabama you know feels pretty good about that, and uh, I think he's going to play more and more and get more and more comfortable. And uh, again, I mean the, the future is bright for both of those young defensive backs, and I think Brian Branch is going to be key you know, on this defense moving. Yeah, and still in a competition for, uh, you know, a base roll or uh, a nickel roll at safety. I mean, with the way this guy's playing in dime, uh, I got to think he he's got to be still very much in that mix. Um, you know, it's been Jordan Battle and, and Daniel Wright uh, to this point, but good competition right now at safety with these two newcomers coming in and uh, Demarco Allums even late in the game against Mississippi State did some nice things and. Was that Eddie Smith I saw out there Saturday it was. night, Charlie? It was. Yeah. He he lives. I know. <laughs> so, good for him, though. He's a Absolutely. guy, too. I mean, you get some of these guys get lost in the mix, especially in the secondary. And, uh, you know, for him to get on the field, he's he's, he's stuck around. Um, you know, he's, he's competed, and he got an opportunity. So, yeah, good for him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to – I'm going to – for our fourth guy, and this isn't – 
to say that obviously Mac Jones is in any kind of trouble as a starting quarterback, but with the unknowns, right? Look at Trevor Lawrence right now yeah. at Clemson, Mrs. BC, Mrs. Um, Notre Dame, Notre Dame coming up on Saturday night. Look, th- again, this is not in any way to say that Mac Jones, if healthy and available, won't be the starter in every game this year. Obviously, he will be. But I think you got to keep Bryce Young hot in terms of as much as you can get him in terms of reps uh, from a practice standpoint. And every opportunity you get in games, get him in there. They've been fortunate the last couple of weeks, Tennessee, uh, once again at Mississippi State, to be able to not only get Bryce Young, but a lot of these guys some valuable reps in conference play, you know, that's, that's not always a given. So I I know, look again, I I gotta keep repeating this disclaimer here, but I I think, I think there, you have to have kind of in the back of your mind, Bryce Young, maybe even Paul Tyson, who knows, but I will go with Bryce Young. I'll give, I'll give you Bryce Young as one of my, one of my five, Charlie. No, I mean, I I think he is important. And um, I, I think they would like to get him some reps behind that first team offensive line, uh, just mm-hmm. because he has face pressure with the twos. Um, you, you don't really, you know, want to keep them out there any longer than you have to, because I think the offensive line and, um, has played really well and you want to keep them fresh, but, um, you know, to get him some, some reps with a, a, a Devonte Smith, a John Mechie, a Slade Bolden, um, is important just because, you know, we haven't seen him have that much success with the twos so far. Now, of course, they're probably not going to be, doing a lot of uh, – uh, they're going to be sticking to a vanilla game plan, of course, but still any experience for, for Bryce Young is important. I think he deserves to be mentioned here. And then um, I, I think in that same breath, Javon Baker, the receiver, mm-hmm. is somebody that we could see more of because Nick Saban has talked this week, of course, the importance of the bye week is to get healthy. They also use this time to focus on some things that are new that they could see down the road from an uh, opposing team standpoint, but it's also big on developing depth. And he has talked about the wide receiver position uh, a couple times in that regard. And you know, we know what Devonte Smith brings to the table. We now know what Jim, uh, John Mechie brings to the table. We've seen Slay Bolden in that starting lineup, but I think they need at least a fourth receiver uh, to step up to try to replace uh, Jalen Waddle. Of course, he's he's an irreplaceable player. I think uh, John Mechie said it best. He's one of one. But Javon Baker is a guy that we heard a lot about in the preseason. Um, Heck, even Jordan Battle compared him to Amari Cooper. Uh, I think he's a guy that once he gets more and more comfortable and gets more experience, it could be a factor in this offense. And so I think you need a young guy or a fourth guy to step up at receiver. And for me, I think he would be the leading candidate there. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the, the young receivers in general, but it seems like Javon Baker's been more at the top of that list. Trayshawn Holden, I'll tell you, he did some things I liked on the two big runs by Trey Sanders. And we would give you Trey Sanders, but he's a redshirt freshman. Come on. Um, Trayshawn Bolden showed me he blocked a little bit. And as we both know, that matters. Matters more than I think people really realize. And so that was encouraging. But Baker and the, and the young receivers – and so there's five, which you know what that's going to lead to. Where's Tim Smith, Charlie? <laughs> and look, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, he, I, he's another dick, another guy that, in all seriousness, I, he could be there too down the stretch. 
And I only mentioned Baker because you kind of transition from quarterback to receiver. I think Tim Smith probably deserves to be mentioned ahead of Bryce Young and Javon Baker in yeah. this discussion, just because from a, a nose tackle standpoint, um, you know, DJ Dale has been pretty inconsistent. And I think Tim Smith has shown flashes of potential of future stardom uh, along that defensive line. Of course, he had the uh, forced fumble in the recovery uh, against Mississippi State. He also had the offsides penalty on fourth and one and got an earful from Nick Saban. But um, you, know, you see what he brings to the table. You see why he was rated as a five-star recruit by 24-7 sports in this last cycle. And um, you know, going back to what we talked about with Dylan Moses, if you can have a guy that uh, just takes up space and eats blocks up there in the middle of that defensive line, just like a Quinnen Williams did a few years ago, that helps out those linebackers. And so I, I think Tim Smith um, – you know, it, he's a guy that when you're talking about this list, of course, you're going to mention Will Anderson and Brian Branch and Malachi Moore. Those guys are starters, but he's right behind those guys, I think, in matter of importance. And if he can continue to improve and see more of the field, I think this defense can play a little better. Good stuff. Yeah, that's a lot of fun to consider that list and uh, and to, you know, think about some potential other areas. But, yeah, I think the defensive side of the ball, when we're looking at it from even a few thousand feet, that's uh, that's obviously where the impacts have come mostly so far this season, and it's reasonable to think that will continue to be the case here over the final four regular season games, perhaps into an SEC championship game and beyond. And with that, Charlie, I've got to ask you the million-dollar question. What's on tap for the open date weekend for Charlie Potter? What, what, what do you got playing this weekend? Uh, I think you'll approve of half of it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Friday, uh, I'll be taking in some high school football. Uh, My nephew, Sean, is a 10th grader for Boaz, my alma mater, and they're Uh playing at Leeds in the first round. Got my tickets. I'll be going there. I think he's going to be playing a little receiver after playing some tight end all year long, so that should be entertaining. Um, But then Saturday, because we need some – positivity in our life i think the wife and i are going to start putting up our christmas tree and christmas decorations. oh jeez! <laughs> you know what though i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna grant a pass for that this year just for 2020 in general i mean yeah. in 2020 if people wanted to put the damn tree up on july 4th this year <laughs> i wouldn't have had any problem with it so look november what is it going to be november 10th i guess is it the 7th i don't even know anymore but yeah i mean in 2020 i I think that's reasonable i think people once the last trick-or-treater hit the doorbell last saturday night if they wanted to put the tree up they should have been able to do it i'm not big early tree guy we've had this discussion before but (laughs) i can't really say much about it this year and who knows you may have your tree up before we have a presidential election result so uh, we got that to look forward to, too. Jeez. Oh, hey, um, always good stuff from Charlie Potter here on the podcast. Always good stuff from Charlie, of course, at BamaOnline.com. You can catch all of us uh, staff-wise on that roundtable, the premium message board of choice there at BamaOnline.com, also the premium message board of choice for Crimson Tide fans everywhere. And so, Charlie, man, enjoy your Enjoy your bye weekend. You deserve it, and look forward to doing this again soon. Yeah, man. It's always good to catch up and enjoy talking on uh, the podcast, and, and hopefully, you know, 
uh, you'll be able to put up your Christmas decorations soon. Oh, geez. Hey, now one <laughs> one more thing: star or angel on top of the tree? Where, where do you, where do you go there? We have a star. Um, okay. My family back in Bo, my mom's always had a an angel, and um, but you know, in, in the house now, I don't make the calls on the Christmas tree. That's the wife's decision. Yeah, so smart guy. I don't mind the star. It it looks good. Um, you know, the angel that we have back in Boaz is probably. You know, years old. So, but that's the, that's my favorite thing about Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Uh, just the the traditions and everything you do to see the old decorations that have been passed down. Um, I could go on and on. The, the music, the movies, the food. You're kind of like just, Clark Griswold in Christmas I Vacation am. in the attic, I aren't you? It's yeah. my favorite right. time. Of I year. dig it. I uh, dig it. <laughs> that nothing wrong with that. Nothing, and like you said, we we need all the positivity we can get uh, these days. We hope this podcast has brought some light to your life. <laughs> <laughs> and so for Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the podcast, and of course at BamaOnline.com. Have a great weekend, everybody. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.